Welcome to Cloud Insiders, the podcast that brings cloud down to earth. I'm sat here with Sam McGowan, a lead consultant at Extrovert, and also Chris Lewis, who's a senior consultant at Extrovert. Thanks for joining us, guys. All right, no problem. Today, we're going to talk about the Realize, VRA, and maybe a bit of VRO. So who wants to kick us off with, uh, with the high level? What is VRealize Suite? VRealize Suite is VMware's cloud management platform, whether that be private cloud, hybrid cloud, and it's used by customers to manage, deploy, automate, monitor, report on their private cloud or hybrid cloud infrastructures. And how long has it been around for? So a bit, a bit of the history of VRA. Um, there was a project, a product called uh, Dynamic Ops, um, which was a .NET platform that was used for automation. That was acquired by VMware, and it, it was uh, chewed around and, and built around and became spat out as, uh, as a product called vCloud Automation Center, vCAC, or vCake. Uh, you're not supposed to call it vCAC. Um, and then uh, vRealize is, is sort of a couple of generations along from that product. So uh, we're on vRealize 7 now. Um, it started at VCAC 5, so um, we've got a couple of generations of maturity and there's a, a whole load of sort of integration of features that are baked into to the version now that maybe weren't before. Um, you still see the Dynamic Ops product uh, in the code and things like that of, of, of VRA, but um, yeah, it, it's a long way from where it was. Right, right, okay. So how does VRA or vRealize automation layer into that? vRealize Suite, from a VMware point of view, is a combination of products. Yes. It's uh, vRealize Automation, vRealize Operations, vRealize Orchestrator, and vRealize Business. Some of those products have sub-component products as well, but vRealize Automation is the cloud portal for users to be able to request services, self-provision, and deliver their services to their end users or themselves. Right. Okay, so now I understand. And so if we were to focus on the automation piece for a moment, yep. what's driving the move in that direction? It's empowering users to deliver services for themselves without having to engage in the traditional life cycle of an IT project. Right, which would be, if you, if you take an example. So um, a project that might traditionally take six to seven to eight weeks will now to deliver a virtual machine or a couple of virtual machines will now take you know, half an hour, 40 minutes, and they can do that themselves. And it, especially in this, like, the development sort of cycle where they want to deliver a virtual machine, run a piece of code, and then remove the virtual machine, they can do that themselves. It can last you know, days, hours, weeks, and be automatically taken away, or they can do that themselves. And they can expand it. They can make it bigger. They can make it smaller. They can customize the t-shirt size blueprints that can be delivered. One thing we see a lot of customers is, is it allows you to take control of things like um, if you've got a lot of shadow IT going on where you've got departments going out to AWS, private cloud, public cloud stuff, where you've got no control over what's going on in, the, in that public cloud, you can actually bring that control back and, and VRA can act as a, as a broker of clouds for you, if you like, and you can have workloads being deployed into AWS um, but it can be centrally managed and you can have uh, you can have authorizations, you can have approvals around that. Um, and with v, uh, Realized Business, uh, you can have costings. Uh, so when a user goes to request a virtual machine, for example, they can see, oh, this one in AWS is going to cost 
this much an hour. Perhaps this one in vCloud Air is going to cost you this much an hour. Or in the private cloud, we're going to set a cost of this much an hour. And it gives, uh, it gives non-technical users a bit more of a choice about where they deploy things. And from the IT point of view, it gives you control. Uh, it means that you, you've got one, one, uh, one portal that, that you can deploy to all these different private clouds, public clouds, um, without necessarily you know, having that whole shadow IT going on where you've got credit card bills for one section of AWS and 50 different AWS accounts and, and a couple of vCloud Air and some Azure. Um, Azure is not actually supported yet, but at 7.1 it will be supported. Um, so there, there's, all, there's, there's a whole kind of governance thing which is really, really useful. It allows you to make sure you retain that control over, over, over sort of spending and that sort of thing. It's about the, the business being able, so vRealize business component of the vRealize suite is all about being able to show back or charge back internally into an organization to say, so individual teams or parts organization have control of an IT budget and they understand how much these services are costing them. Uh, and that, that's the key part of vRealize business. Um, but also, uh, as, as Sam said, being able to make that decision in a vRealize automation point of view to be able to say it's going to cost X amount a month to pull it into AWS or vCloud Air, or it's going to cost me Y to put it into uh, my private cloud. And I can make that decision based on the sort of the OPEX of that. And so I, I, I'm informed and I'm empowered to make that decision as right. a customer. Right. So, and I definitely get that. And we've talked previously about, um, about cloud sprawl and wanting to avoid it. And I can see that playing in with the, the idea of limiting the, the amount of shadow ops that's going on. Yeah. It also allows the, the life cycle management means that you don't have VMs hanging around that, that a developer spun up for a day and then forgot to shut down. Um, so you get, get the whole life cycle managed of each, each VM. So, so as an example to that, you can set a machine lease time that says, you know, this machine is available for five days and after five days, send an email to the person who requested it to see if they want it still. And if they don't reply or they don't want it, we'll automatically tear it down. Uh, and that those resources will automatically be recovered so they can be used for something else. And I can see that being attractive to management because they're looking at that and thinking, now I understand, now I know the cost, and now I can start to automate the process to, to control it and increase efficiency. Is that fair yep. to say? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, what types of organizations in terms of size and in terms of vertical are we seeing moving towards um, VRealize? I think it comes down to um, the type of organization. There's normally two types. You either have a service provider who is providing um, multiple um, tenants, uh, they, uh, uh, their customers or internally deploying a, um, a, a massive system you know, like some of the big players in the market, or you have a slightly smaller organization who just want to be able to provide their developers or their users with that control and empower those users to be able to deliver the services. And from a realized automation point of view, what you have to remember, the customer sees a nice shiny portal, but the background to that is a lot of hard work that the IT organization has to do to make sure that um, it's nice and smooth and easy and uh, it's simple to use. Right, right. And that might segue us quite nicely into some of the pitfalls, some of the things that you've seen organizations and clients struggle with um, when, they, when they go to roll out, particularly the automation piece. Um, what are some of those things? 
there's kind of a, a sort of standard that you would you would respond to for any kind of automation and and VRA as an automation platform has those same pitfalls for example it's easy to do, to to have a defined process and automate that process but if you don't have a defined process if there's no standard build um you first have to define all of that before you can then do that standard build so where where VRA and any kind of automation is useful is when it when you've got repeatable tasks you've got things that you do perhaps often that are maybe time consuming manually but you can you can automate it and you spend a little bit more time automating that process but you end up with something that can be repeated and it can be done consistently and it can be done in a fraction of the time that you sort of use it so for example recent customer each time they wanted to deploy a new vm they sent off a request a standard request form and they were given a two week lead time to deploy a new vm um, now, with the platform that we built and with the automation, we were building their VMs, their standard VMs in four minutes. So that's that's a huge level of difference. Now, that's only useful if that particular VM is going to be deployed lots of times. There's no point in us spending two weeks getting all that automation set up if that VM is only ever going to be deployed once a year. But if you're going to deploy 10 of those, well, there you suddenly you've got your sort of net gain. Right. And I think it's also important that to me, VRI's automation is is, uh, is part of a managed change process. It's not replacing it, it's augmenting it. So you would still have your traditional change management process if you were running a project. So th- there's two use cases, I guess. There's your end users wanting to deploy machines rapidly and being able to recover those resources once once they've been finished used, but also as, as a, uh, an organisation who is maybe an IT-managed organisation for an end customer, um, augmenting the change process with vRealize Automation and vRealize Orchestrator means that those mundane steps that are prone to user error are taken out of the equation and it makes it much simpler. So, for example, if you wanted to, every time you deployed a virtual machine to a production environment, you wanted to update the CMDB, you could do that automatically as part of that deployment. You wouldn't have to remember to do it or forget to do it is probably the more accurate way. So your your whole of your IT organization becomes a lot more cohesive because you're automatically updating your CMDB. Therefore, you know, it's always up to date. And that's one of the biggest things with organizations is making sure that you know that all the information is up to date and accurate so that they can make those informed decisions about additional purchases or, or, or things like that. Right. And you say two weeks um um, Chris, you're talking about bringing some order to process. Both of those things sound like enterprise um, problems and possibilities to me. Is that what you're seeing or are you seeing it I don't. Think, I don't think it's just enterprise. I think um, anybody that wants to invest the time up front will, will get a saving in the long term. Mm-hmm. So whether that be an enterprise thing or a small business, you know, small to medium business, um, I think they'll, they'll get the gains from doing that. I think what's important is the multiple products in vRealize suite aren't for everybody. You know, there's lots of things that won't be used. Um, vRealize Automation is one of those products and vRealize Orchestrator is one of those products that will be used. And if it's implemented well, will save time and will save money and will mean that the, your IT organization can concentrate on other things, improve profit, improve uh, everything else that your business needs to do because they haven't got to worry about the, the, the mundane task. Have you both seen some fairly successful project rollouts where that was realized, for lack of a better term? Yeah, so I think um, 
the the projects that are most successful they don't just look at deployment sort of capabilities of VRA but with with VRA's orchestrator you have anything as a service XAS stuff where you you can integrate orchestrator with any system that has a standard API. So anything with a REST API, anything with SOAP APIs, there are also a ton of plugins for different things. So for example, you can deploy users with to Active Directory using um, web forms and your HR department can create users into Active Directory, but they're doing it from the same portal that they're requesting a new, um, a new virtual machine from or anything like that. So we're um, not just talking about VMs here? No, no we're, we're not. We can full self-service catalog. Yeah, so um, some of the things that perhaps you might do, um, example project, uh, we're working with load balancers, a, a particular brand of load balancers, F5 load balancers. We're using the REST API to deploy load balancer context. And so the VMs that are deployed are part of a larger application blueprint. And within that blueprint, we're deploying a new load balancer with a virtual IP configuration of that load balancer. And the whole application stack is deployed. Uh, similarly, you have other customers who maybe um, someone in service now creates a new user record, and that user record is used to trigger a request to Active Directory through VRA and Orchestrator, and you get this joined up IT where the Active Directory user is synchronized with the service now object in the CMDB. The, the possibility is endless. I always think of it um, as it's that unlimited power. You can you can orchestrate anything that has an API. So anything that you can... One of the problems with it is you can do so much. There are so many possibilities. It's difficult to, th- to sort of think, well, actually, I've got to nail something specific down here and work out what I'm going to do because there are so many possibilities of interaction. So, And have you almost seen that um, work as a negative in projects where, uh, where organisations are thinking, gee, where do I start? One of the, the pitfalls of organisations trying to deliver vRealize Suite is they underestimate what it can do. And once they know what it can do, how long it takes to get there. Right. Um, so it's not necessarily um, complex to deliver a vRealize automation infrastructure. The ability to do things, it's the capability to do them afterwards. So creating those orchestrator workflows creating AAS blueprints is a complicated workflow process, but you can reap the benefit once once it's there. Uh, and as Sam said, if it's the wrong thing to do to automate everything, especially if you're only going to deliver it once. But if you're continually delivering multi-machine blueprints, firewalls, um, you know, load balancers, anything that's scriptable or has an API that can be referenced, then automations, VBLized orchestration, VBLized automation is the right tool. Yeah. I think one of the, the really interesting aspects of it is everyone sort of bands around the, the SDDC, the idea of the software-defined data center. But um, with realize and integration with things like NSX, you can actually start deploying not only just the whole application stack, but the networks that are in the background. You can deploy routed networks, you can deploy private networks, you can deploy load balancers with NSX. And that's all out-of-the-box tight integration with VRA. So as a platform, it actually, it's a huge enabler. But what you've got, what, what tends to happen is you have a business, maybe they've got a specific need. Okay, we need to deploy this application. We need to do it quicker than we are. Can you come in and do that? And you start talking to people and you say, well, did you know you can, you can start deploying maybe this network and do this automatically? You can create copies for, say, um, you know, your QA environment of this application and isolate that, that network and just allow a certain group of people to access it. And you see the light, bulb, the light bulb moment where people's kind of imagination starts to pick up and they'll ask you, can you do this? Oh, can, 
can you do this then? We've got this API, can you integrate with that? And I think well, that's one of my favorite bits of doing the v- sort of VRA engagements is when, when people start to realize, actually, this is a powerful No tool. pun intended. Yeah, <laughs> they start to realize. <clears throat> and uh, the uh, yeah, so, so that light bulb moment where people actually kind of get it and, and they can see the interactions between systems and, Ah, so if we do that, we don't we don't need someone to go and fill in a paper form X Y Z. We can get it approved through the system, and then it'll go in. And yeah, it, it's it's great. People people often have this one use case which we're brought in to to automate, but it suddenly becomes project scope creep. But it's great because it means people are getting the 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 whole platform. I think the the tagline really should be the possibilities are infinite. You know, so you, you can do anything and everything with it. Only problem with that is that it may have been done. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, when should you not automate? I think we could probably I, probably I covered we, that. We covered, we covered that. I mean, yeah. if if it's a one-off implementation, uh, then taking the time to orchestrate and automate that would potentially be seen as as a waste of effort. Um, but otherwise, if you're doing it, you know regularly you know more than once then that that's the right time to automate okay so i'm a, a cto of a mid-sized org i'm starting to think about the potential what are the things that i need to cover off before i a start the team looking at it or b look to bring a consultancy in such as extra so i think it's, it's useful to have a really clearly defined set of requirements that's that's one of the key things that when we go into to, to automate or to, to do a project like that the requirements are really what drives it but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do that by yourself i mean we we can help define requirements we can through discussions we can tease those requirements out um, and that's something that we're, we're used to doing as part of projects so really you, you need to have a use case you need to know what you want to to automate so you know if, if you've got this application that you deploy you know x times a month and you want to automate that or perhaps maybe you want to take control of cloud sprawl or you want to you want to give a single point for everyone to come to where they get their self-service they get their user accounts they get their vms they get their load balancers they can also deploy to hybrid cloud stuff then that that control i think is very good um I guess, life cycle. Yeah, I mean, I think in, in small to medium-sized organisations where they don't have things like, or potentially don't have things like ServiceNow and you know, different type of service desk products, then, uh, but they do have a, a vested interest in VMware products, then we realise uh, automation gives them that self-service portal that you may get with a, a large organisation with ServiceNow uh, and that sort of workflow approval process, you know, um, I want to deploy a virtual machine, but my boss has to approve it first. And you can drill down to the fact, well, actually, my boss only has to approve if I'm deploying more than one virtual machine and I'm changing the size of it. You know, so there's some real sort of approvals, sort of changes that you can do. Uh, and I think that's, you know, one of, one of the sort of the biggest use cases for me, as, as well as, I guess, initially, I saw vRealize automation as, development test you know crash and burn rapid sort of uh, delivery rapid sort of removal but it is getting into that position where we've got this cloud sprawl where we can actually you know, push the 
to public clouds. And, and it may be that you, you, for a particular financial period or a particular time in a customer's sort of calendar where they want to, they, they might be selling something on, on the web and they want to expand their presence to cope with the, the, the expected demand. And they might not have the on-premise infrastructure to do that. They don't want to invest in it. And so they want to deliver the same sort of web front-ended services but into a public cloud service and then pull that back down again. Uh, and, but they may do that, you know, three times a year, but they want to be able to automate that so that um, they don't have to worry about doing it. They can just do it. Yeah, and I guess that means that there's a, a sense of control over, um, over the kind of bill shock that, that an unplanned cloud migration might lead to. And, and, and a, a reduction in, you know, the, the cost of shadow IT. Okay. What about the future? If you look at the next couple of years um, and the platform and in the technology, where do you see it going? So for, for me, I reckon that it will be used much more in the sort of broker of clouds kind of role. I, I see on-premise, on-premise, on-premises. What's the right word? Hey, on-premise. On-premise. Yeah. That's wrong. <laughs> on-premises. It's on the premises. So the in-house IT, the private cloud stuff, I think will largely shrink down to those applications that businesses have to have on board for certain regulatory reasons and that sort of thing. And a lot more stuff is going to be pushed out to public cloud. And I see vRealize as a, as a really strong way of controlling that. It allows you to retain control over the approval processes, over the life cycle, and over, over what's placed where, and, and it, you get a huge policy engine around that. And I think, to me, that side of it is only going to grow. The, the integrations with other systems, it's all, it's all great, and it's all sort of back-end functionality, but really the, the control over cloud and the ability to broker between clouds is definitely the future. And I, I, I tend to agree. I think that the, the, um, the on-premise private cloud infrastructure, just like... Uh, when we move from wholesale physical infrastructure into the virtual world, there'll be certain things that won't be able to be virtualized because of um, the, the product or the hardware requirements. In, in, in Traditionally, from a virtual point of view, moving to cloud, that's the next stage. There'll be certain things that can be virtual but can't or don't really fit within that cloud model. Uh, and so it will, V-Realize will be used to sort of bridge the gap and provide that sort of top layer uh, to do that uh, and I think also OpenStack will come into that as well um, so sort of containers docker that sort of stuff and I think that will over the next 12 to 18 months will shift towards that as well yeah and that's a good point I was I was sitting here thinking to myself what if I as a CTO am buying into the the OpenStack philosophy what if I don't want vendor lock-in um, how does it then how does Verialize suite then play into my world so, so currently you can deploy to OpenStack. You can deploy to um, OpenStack-based cloud. Um, you can, and, and that's, that's just a standard sort of uh, integration that you have out of the box these days. Um, I think in terms of in future, that there's definitely a case for sort of the continuous in integration side of things and the rapid pulling up and tearing down of microservices. Um, what I worry about is obviously that, that uh, it's fledgling. So you have loads of people doing the whole, um, you know, Kubernetes, Mesos, Puppet, um, Puppet Swarm and all that. You've got lots of different competing pro products at the moment that are all sort of developing. And, and I think the important thing is, is that, that VRO has 
the ability to interact with APIs. Mm-hmm. And APIs are, are the future. People should be building APIs first and then the, the GUI interaction late. And to me, the, the APIs and the functionality there is, is the, the key. So if you want to deploy through Docker, you can use a REST API and deploy Docker. Or, or same, same with all the other sort of the container platforms or OpenStack. Anything that's got an API, we can control and we can we can develop integration for. Um, so to me, that's m- more of a case of any product should have an API that we can then leverage rather than uh, necessarily one or the other. Yeah, yeah right. definitely. So I guess in some ways we could say that that Vrealize Suite brings to the ops world the the kind of API and flexible plug and play um, cross platform. Um, interoperability that web dev have had for a while. Yeah, I mean, I think you could say that. Uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't say it's aimed at the CI sort of co- continuous integration kind of piece as yet, but you can manage tools that would enable CI. Um, and and I think that integration will become tighter as time goes on, yeah. The future is bright. Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. Really helpful. brings us to the end of another episode of Cloud Insiders. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. And to find out more and access show notes and downloads, head over to cloudinsiders.fm. You can track us on Twitter at Cloud Insiders, and we'd love you to leave us a review on iTunes. See you next time. This episode was brought to you by Extrovert, trusted independent consultants for data center, workspace, and cloud transformation. For help solving complex IT challenges and unlocking the full potential of your technology, head over to extrovert.com.